0: I'm, I'm really excited tonight, you know, because, you know, when President Saro Ramaphosa shuffled his cabinet not too long ago, we appointed new ministers. The, the new minister of sport has done something that I'm very excited about. You know, it's taken many, many years into our South African democracy for this change to, to, to really happen. You know, we, we, we got it right with the cricket team. Now, the major victory is that we've now got it right with the rugby team. You know, in preparation for the World Cup, um, and I'm sorry if you bought yourself a new um, Springbok top, you know, but the, 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 the official name now for the Springbok is going to be the Quachas. So we are going to at this next World Cup. We're going to be shouting, Go Quachas! Thank you very much, Minister Zizi Cordua for bringing about this change that is very, very much needed. Why are you guys laughing? Yeah. I don't know how you feel about that. I guess some of you must be happy. Some of you might be sad. Maybe you spent money. Um, but as you know, yesterday was the 1st of April. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, So so the story actually appeared on the 1st of April about four years ago on news24.com. And obviously it got a number of people who like to bry on a Saturday very, very upset. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't know if any of you pulled a, um, a April full day prank on any of you. Yeah? We were driving from the shop yesterday and listening to the radio. Um, KFM's top 40-something countdown and Carl Waste there, Calum Scott um, on the radio station, you know, and he pulled an April Fool joke on him. And I know a number of years ago, you know, I would always look out for the 1st of April, you know, if somebody was going to try and, and pull a fast one on me. And, you know, in those days when we still used to read the printed newspaper, You know yeah i would always you know read the newspaper with uh, um, more than a pinch of salt you know just in case there would be some kind of story you know that would really not be true you know and in fact i remember the first of april a number of years ago visiting a friend of mine and on the the front page of the newspaper they had a picture like this Um, it wasn't this one i couldn't find the original pictures i had to recreate the picture but you know there was renovations happening on top of Table Mountain to the to the cable car and you know on the newspaper they put there this picture, you know, this is what is happening. They're actually moving the cable station from the one side of the mountain to the other side of the mountain. And that's what they put up, you know. And I remember walking in my friend who know religiously reads the paper, you know, and I mean he's a very intelligent guy. He's a math teacher, you know, and and I said to him, you know, Hey, did you see that story? And he says, Yeah, interesting, is it not? You know he says know what the date is. It's the 1st of April. You don't trust anything, you know, that, that happens in the newspaper. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, so yesterday was the 1st of April, um, April Fool's Day. You know, I've often wondered, you know, what is the origin of this concept of April Fool? Uh, according to the History Channel, um, they say, look, the, the actual... The origin of April Fool is unknown, but it likely happened somewhere in the late 1500s, maybe around 1582. um, There's something significant that happened in Europe, and especially in France where it started. um, There was a change in the calendar. You know, we used to operate off what was called the Julian calendar, you know, from the Roman times. Pope Gregory introduced what became known as the Gregorian calendar. And one of the things that we kind of take for granted, you know, that um, New Year's Day is the first of January, but New Year's Day actually used to be the first of April. And Christmas Day was on the 25th of March, you know, and they were kind of aligning um, under the Julian calendar that Christmas and New Year would fall with what happens in the northern hemisphere, um, what is known as the spring equinox. You know, for us it's the start of Of autumn going into into winter but you know the people didn't uh, like that idea and a lot of people took a while you know to kind of warm up to that idea so they had to find some way of encouraging people in order to do that you know and one of the ways in which it happened was that people started apparently playing pranks on one another especially when the Gregorian calendar was introduced into 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 Britain so so people used to on the first of April Um, create fake tasks for people. And in fact, it was at that time that they started doing what we used to do in primary school. On a piece of paper, you used to write, kick me, and then you inadvertently put that on somebody's back. And as they're walking along, you know, it's an invitation for everybody, you know, to kick you on your behind, you know. Um, Kick me sign started, started there. But I don't know, you know. In fact, I remember my mother saying to me, you do not do anything that is in any way making a fool of anyone because she said um, they made a fool of jesus or they tried to make a fool of jesus and according to matthew chapter 5 verse 22 anybody who calls anybody a fool will be in danger of hellfire. fire i don't want to go tell <laughs> so i was i was very careful i'm actually quite serious <laughs> You know, so, yeah, so some people have actually tied it into um, what happened to, to Jesus, you know. And I don't think it's, it's actually about Jesus, but here we are, the day after the 1st of April on what you have been told is Palm Sunday. And it is normally around this time that I think about a book that I read many, many years ago. You know, that kind of almost prepares my own heart and my own mind. To think about Jesus, to think about his significance, to think about what he accomplished. You know, C.S. Lewis was a, was a very clever man, uh, as you, you, you've heard about him before. Um, he actually started out as a, as a student at some of the most prestigious universities in, in, in Britain. He studied at both Cambridge University and Oxford University, eventually became a professor of English at Oxford University. While he had been baptized as a baby into the Anglican church, he actually became an atheist. And while at Oxford, you know, he was part of a group of people. They called themselves the Inklings, you know, which got to do with ink, people who would write. And this was a discussion group. And this discussion group, you know, discussed various topics. And one of the guys in that dis- discussion group with him was a man by the name of J.R.R. R. Tolkien. the guy who wrote lord of the rings who was actually a committed christian um, he challenged c.s lewis and in fact as a result of his interaction with c.s lewis c.s lewis committed recommitted his life to christ and became a christian and started writing in defense of the christian faith you know given this change that happened that is one of the books that he wrote mere christianity Um, it was entitled published about 1950 late 1940s early 1952 i think it was published Um, and in this in this book you know c.s lewis posed what they call a trilemma you know um, trying to give something an answer to something by posing three questions and the question he essentially posed in this book was about jesus is jesus a liar is he a lunatic? Or easy Lord in other words for him there were actually only three options when one considers who Jesus is the life of Jesus and everything that Jesus did you know you have to take that seriously and if you take that seriously you have you can only come to one of three conclusions either that Jesus was a liar or that he was a lunatic or that he was Lord Um, I sometimes try and think of it in another way. You know, was Jesus a fool? Was he just simply being foolish? Or is he our friend? You see, we know that Jesus had his own agenda. An agenda that set him apart against the expectations of the day and age in which he was living in. And so when Jesus came and he had to present himself as Messiah, first of all to the Jewish nation, you know, he came within a particular context, a context in which, as we know, um, what we call today Palestine or the Holy Land or the land of Israel was under the control of the Romans, you know, and there were many other nations that actually controlled that piece of land. and, And for many, many years, The jewish people had an expectation of what they called a messiah somebody who would come and who would liberate them and for them the idea of this liberation was going to be a socio-political liberation for them the messiah was going to be somebody who was going to come as a great and mighty warrior and he would lead god's people Um, to overthrow whoever was oppressing them at that time at that particular time when jesus was born it was the roman empire that had brutal control over them and so in the popular mind the idea was that this messiah was going to be a a great warrior somebody who's going to come along and is going to lead in revolt and in fact there were many you know, that they thought was this Messiah. In fact, about 167 or so years before the birth of Jesus, you know, and you know, with the changes in the Gregorian calendar, etc., you know, today we calculate that Jesus was probably born about 7 to 4 BC, somewhere around there, which sounds strange. You know, how can Jesus be, be born seven years before Christ? <laughs> but it's a mess in the calendar. But about 167 years... Um, based upon the calendar that we have today, there was a man by the name of Judah. And he had a title. His title was the hammer, Maccabeus. And he decided that he was going to be a one who was going to be leading a group of people in revolt. You know, against what was then, you know, one of the, um, the remnants of, um, um, of the great empire um, of Alexander the Great so so he led a revolt against the seleucid king by the name of antiochus epiphanes a guy who believed that he was god's revelation that he was god's image here upon this earth in fact he was a crazy guy you know people called him antiochus epimenes which means you know the image of a madman you know because he was so crazy in what he did and it was in that uprising that Judah Maccabeus and many who revolted, and there were even some Pharisees that got involved in this revolt, that hundreds, if not thousands, of them ended up being crucified. So here was this person who they thought would be, you know, this, this great warrior, this, maybe this Messiah. And that remained the expectation. For, for, for many, many years. And so Jesus comes into that situation, and Jesus knows that there is this messianic expectation, which is not true to what his ministry was going to be all about. And so Jesus had to be more intentional about how he was going to be doing this. And we see this throughout the life of Jesus, You know, as we, as we read the gospel accounts, um, and especially on a day like this, We tend to camp off at this, what we call the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, in which there was once again this messianic expectation, this popular idea as to what it would be all about. The story is so important, um, it's recorded in all of the Gospels, you know, with some variations, you know, because each of the Gospel writers tries to give a a a different angle you know on the life and ministry of Jesus and John in particular does that you know he he takes the the events of the life of Jesus you know and he rearranges in such a way in order to present Jesus as the one and and, and true Messiah and he does the same thing um, when it comes to what we call the triumphal entry so if you don't have your Bibles with you I'm going to be reading it but it is up on the screen John chapter 12, from verse 12 to verse 16, which is one of the more shorter accounts of the, what is called the, the triumphal entry. The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival, now the festival that the Bible is talking about here was a pilgrim festival. Um, it was God's people, the Jews, preparing themselves to celebrate the Passover. You know that's what Jews are doing today. You know because Passover falls over over the over the Easter period, um, and so this was one of those festivals that people would make a special effort to to go to Jerusalem. You know, and so there would be there would be large crowds. So so here are the people, the Jewish people, coming in as pilgrims, joining those who are in the city of Jerusalem, um, and some of them have come having heard about Jesus, being intrigued about Jesus. You know, and and now they see him coming. So you can understand there is this great expectation. So the next day when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey or colt and sat on it just as it is written. Fear no more, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. So it's a, it's a story that we know very well. The picture, you know, is, is very clear. You have heard the story many, many times before. In fact, it is very clear, you know, because of all the palm branches and palm leaves that we have around us today, that this morning at Classic Service, you know, they, they, they took it quite seriously. They wanted to, 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 to remember that. You know, but, but in other traditions, they, they take it even more seriously. You know, because what they do is, you know, 40 days... Before Palm Sunday, they take the palm leaves that they used the previous year and they burn it and the ash they use on Ash Wednesday, which is about forty days, you know before um, Palm Sunday, they make a, a little cross on the on the forehead you know and then for forty days, you give up something you know and I remember. Being very young at school, some of my friends doing that, you know, and, and in our tradition, we didn't do that. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll also try giving up something. So I gave up Facebook when I was in primary school and the internet, which was easy because there wasn't any Facebook and there wasn't it. No. That, 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 that thing just never got to me. <laughs> you know? but, but anyway, you know, there are people who, who actually take it seriously you know and they dedicate themselves to that and they say i'm gonna give up something for 40 days why because jesus gave up so much for us um and so we prepare our hearts for palm sunday because palm sunday within the christian calendar is the start of what is called passion week that week that we remember that jesus really went through a difficult experience because there was the expectation of people generally that he was going to be the messiah you know in fact that expectation had been growing you know and as jesus performed miracles and as he shared with his disciples you know there was this growing expectation lord at this time are you going to you know lord at this time so when are you going to be leading in this in this rebellion but you know jesus was very careful to not associate himself with this idea of a political messiah. Because he was bringing a message that was very different. And his kingdom was a kingdom not of this world, which was for the political freedom of the Jewish nation. No. For him it was that every nation would be part of his kingdom. It wouldn't just be be Jews, it would also be Gentiles. And so some people have often reflected on that um, that approach that jesus took you know he would perform a miracle and he would say to them you know don't tell anybody you know keep it a secret you know they even termed it in academic terms the messianic secret you know the fact that jesus was was telling people not to do that you know um or that even with his disciples you know calling himself the son of man teaching them that he is the son of god you know yet asking them to be quiet because his, his time had not yet come and so some people look at that approach of jesus and they think you know so maybe jesus was was you know um misguided in his understanding maybe he was foolish you know maybe jesus was even some suggested somehow deluded you know maybe jesus wasn't sincere in that he thought about um that he could be a kind of Messiah, but he was actually misguided. You know, maybe he suffered. You know, according to DSM-5, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, you know, of people with mental disorders, he suffered from the delusional disorder of grandeur. You know, thinking he's somebody which is not. You know, like if I were to say to you, "My name is Napoleon Bonaparte," you know, I would think, you know, either I'm joking or there's something seriously wrong with me. But what becomes clear when we especially look at the story and you see what happened before and how the story unfolds, it becomes clear that Jesus was absolutely careful yet intentional about what it is he was doing. In fact, we know based upon this passage that what Jesus was doing was demonstrating to the people that he is indeed the fulfillment of the prophecy the scripture will come up later Zechariah 9 9. that this is how your Messiah will be presented to you not as this person this great warrior was going to be coming in you know uh, a knight maybe on a white horse you know like Gandalf did in the Lord of the Rings you know not going to be something like that you know he's going to come in more humble circumstances In fact we were reminded not too long ago i think it was craig that mentioned that you know even those who have studied the life of jesus you know doing doctorates in theology came to different conclusions about jesus you know the brilliant albert schweitzer actually had three doctorates you know he was a doctor of medicine doctor of music and for his dissertation for his doctorate of theology came to the conclusion that jesus was a disillusioned messianic preacher maybe he wasn't really the son of god So what are we left with? Easy a fool, easy foolish, or easy a friend? You know, I've been interested to see how other atheists have been reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, and what conclusions they come to. You know, there are those who who kind of reject the way in which C.S. Lewis presented you know the 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 evidence about Jesus yet I was fascinated that one of the most vocal um, atheists a man by the name of Christopher Hitchens he died a number of years ago he's part of a group they call the four horsemen of the apocalypse you know with um, you know people other atheists like him you know who were very vocal very anti-christian um, with, with within, their, um, within their rhetoric you know but he said Yeah, no, what C.S. Lewis has put up is actually the only options that we have when it comes to Jesus. So I know tonight I have a sympathetic audience, an audience that probably doesn't need much convincing as to who Jesus was and that he was the true Messiah and that what he was doing um, on that Palm Sunday was self-consciously fulfilling the Messianic prophecy about him. But just in case, you might might need to be reminded. I want to share with you some ideas that I think this passage is helping to instill about Jesus. The first one is that, simply that, that when you take a look at Jesus and you consider the life of Jesus, you discover that unlike any other person, Jesus always is able to tick all the boxes. Check all the boxes when it comes to Every single prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, and even the ones that comes early in the New Testament about him, only Jesus is able to tick all of them off. So all of the prophecies about Jesus, Jesus was able to consciously fulfill every single one of those prophecies, and they stand as evidence that he can be trusted, that he's not a fool, that he's not being foolish, but he actually wants to present himself to us as Messiah, or as we sing about him, our friend. Secondly, I think, oops, now what did I do? I blanked the screen. It is considering his miracles. You see, when Jesus performed miracles, we know that there was always an intentionality around his miracles. In fact, the way in which the book of John describes Jesus' miracles, it John's Gospel calls these miracles signs and records some of the things. Remember, John says Jesus did many, many other things that's not recorded. The only, thing, only way you'll know what those things are if you watch the series, The Chosen. <laughs> <laughs> then you'll know the other things Jesus did. I, I, I think one of the amazing things I discovered on that series was that Jesus could dance. <laughs> what a miracle! Lord, there's hope for me. <laughs> yeah. But Jesus did many, many other things. But John records the miracle specifically as signs pointing to Jesus to, to convince everybody that Jesus, he was the Messiah, that He, that, 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 that is his identity. The third thing that I think um, this passage helps us to understand was that Jesus' messianic nature was very different to the expectation of his day in fact it took jesus the better part of three years spending time with his disciples to try and re-educate them to try and undo the understanding that they had and to make them understand that this is who he was in fact john records here that even when those things happened they still weren't convinced it took them a number of years later in fact john then eventually records it and he says you know uh, it was only once he was glorified that all of these things made sense to us that we understood and so jesus indeed was the son of man but at the same time he was also the son of god very very different kind of messiah I think the, the, the next thing that this thing that, 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 this, that the Bible teaches us, and what even this passage helps us to understand, is that Jesus was unique. He was especially unique in his teachings. You see, Jesus presented himself on this earth as a rabbi, this itinerant preacher moving around with his disciples, you know, and, and, and teaching them, you know, but it became very clear that the content that he preached was very different to what the other rabbis were teaching. You know, so that even the, the, the famous rabbis of his day, you know, that many of the Pharisees followed and some of the Sadducees as well had their own rabbis. You know, when they listened to what Jesus had to say, they this is radical. I mean, love your enemies. <laughs> love the Romans. I mean, these people that's doing all these things to us, you know, if they, if they, if they take your, your coat, give him your tunic as well, you know. I mean, would the Messiah say something as crazy as that, as radical as that? And everything that Jesus taught, I think, you know, actually went against the established teaching of the day. Remember Jesus said, you have heard, but I say to you. You know, he had that kind of authority to be able to do that, you know, and it got them listening. I think he's death, burial, and resurrection. You know, because that is what this week is all about. We're reminding ourselves that it's, you know, it's not about the Easter eggs, it's not about the picklefish and the, you know, hot cross buns, those things that we like to eat, you know, uh, around this time. You know, and if you don't like to eat it, you know, I don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) You know, so yes, you know, uh, I mean, it's been secularized, it's been popularized. For some people, it's a holiday. You know, for other people, it's just meaningless. would a man go through what he did if he was a fool or if he was just being foolish or would he do it because he, he was who we said he was a unique person in history the son of God willing to die for the sins of this world and then finally think about his lasting impact the ministry that he left behind, the change that he brought to people, not just the ones that he encountered, but even right now today, that this Jesus as a Messiah can step into your life and my life and turn it all around and make us into something new and draw us into a new family, which is the fulfillment of of his messianic idea. You know, People from every nation Coming together to be part of one nation, to be the church. It is transform lives. And that is what this week is all about. You know, so if you are maybe going through some doubts, or maybe you feel that, <clears throat> ah, just another, another Easter time, um, just another time to, to remember something that was nice. I think it is important to understand that this is of vital importance, not just to ourselves, but to this world. And it is our responsibility to take that message forward. So how are we going to do that? Well, I think one of the ways in which we do that is through this table over here. But as we come to this table... I want to draw this message to a close and to share with you what C.S. Lewis himself said. Now, on the memes, which is on the left-hand side, you will see the partial quote. But this is what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great model teacher. You would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg or else you would be the devil of hell. But that's not the full quote. The full quote is on the right-hand side, you know, with a gap in the middle where that quote fits in. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus, he says people say, as a great moral teacher. But I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Then you can read the quote on the left. And then that's the way in which the quote ends. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a bad man or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. And that is what C.S. Lewis did. I heard a story of a man who was walking around in London, apparently, with a sandwich board. You know, we know what the sandwich board is. You know, they're kind of making a comeback nowadays, you know, people who stand at the traffic lights and they advertise something, you know, and um, normally it's the same thing on the front as what it is on the back. But, but sometimes you get a sandwich board like this a man walking around and people seeing, you know, him saying, I'm a fool for Jesus. And people thought, yeah, he must be really crazy. But when they looked at the other side, They were posed with that question. But then, whose fool are you? Was Jesus a fool? Was he being foolish? No, he is our friend. And Jesus gathered his friends together. As that Passion Week was coming towards its culminating point, in what we remember as the Last Supper and what we celebrate, as the communion table. You know that this is a painting, in fact, it's a, what we call a fresco. Um, it wasn't done by Leonardo da Vinci as a painting, it's actually painted on a wall, on a monastery. He was commissioned by the head of the monastery, Santa de Maria del Grazia, I believe in Milan, to, to paint a picture, um, in fact, in the very area that they would have their meals, you know, of what we call the Last Supper. It took him three years to actually paint that fresco. And the part that he battled with was trying to get the expressions of each of the disciples right. In fact, the story is told that he had painted the entire fresco, but had left the, left the faces blank. And he walked through the streets of Milan looking at different people, you know, to try and... Um, um, getting the, the right expression for, for, for the right person. Because what you might not know is that the, the picture is supposed to be a moment captured when Jesus says to them, one of you is going to betray me. So it's almost like a 16th century selfie taken at that very moment, you know, of the disciples' reactions. And in fact, um, the story is told that, you know, when the head of the monastery got upset with Da Vinci, you know and da vinci looked at his facial expression he was inspired to draw the picture of judas <laughs> but 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 what do we see there um to give you a short exegesis of the picture you will notice that they are sitting in groups of three right right on your left hand side the first three disciples over there is bartholomew james the sons of Alphaeus, and andrew their expression to what Jesus said is one of surprise. Then going over to the far right, the group that you see over there is Matthew, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot. Their expression is one of confusion. One of you is going to betray me? And then right next door to them is Thomas, James the son of Zebedee, and Philip. And they, they seem to have a mixture of what you might just call expressions in which they are actually upset. Maybe they are stunned. And then immediately to Jesus' right is the last three, the contrasting group of Judas, Simon, Peter, and John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Judas has got the look of guilt. Peter, the look of anger. And John looks very sad. But in the middle is Jesus. And Jesus saying to them, you do this, and whenever you do it, you do it in remembrance of me.